Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 to 20. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will also raise us. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and reunite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body, for it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. Our culture is changing and in dramatic ways, perhaps nowhere more so than in how our culture understands human relationships and human sexuality. And the change isn't just happening out there in the world. The church, too, is deeply confused, uncertain about such things. And so, tonight and over the next three weeks, we are looking together at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7 to see what God has to say to us about such crucial matters. It won't always be easy in the next few weeks. We're going to be dealing with matters that are deeply personal to all of us and at times also painful for us. And yet, what the Bible has to say is full of such good news, such brilliant news that we desperately need to hear. And so it'll be well worth it. We'll need God's help. And so let me pray for us as we begin. Our Father in heaven, we've just been singing those words, take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee and follow in our best moments perhaps we can sing that prayer and mean it but we know that so often we struggle to want to live for you and so we ask for your help father please help us to understand your word more than that to believe it and then even more than that to live it out in practice father please help us to be a people who live for you and we pray this in Jesus name amen Tonight, we begin by thinking about our bodies. And within our culture, there is a new story going around about our bodies, which goes like this. It doesn't matter what we do with our bodies. Since the sexual revolution began back in the 1960s, we've been told by our culture that we can sleep with anyone we want, whenever we want, as often as we want, as long as everyone consents. 
uh, we are told that uh, it, it no longer matters if we sleep with someone of the opposite sex or the same sex. We're told it is repressive, damaging to restrict our sexual behavior. And behind this headline lies a very low view of the body. Oh, don't get me wrong, at the superficial level, we worship our bodies. We spend hours trying to make ourselves look good. We go on January diets and we hit the gym and we wear clothes that flatter our body shape to make other people impressed as much as we can by how we look. But push a bit deeper and beneath the surface, our culture has actually a very low view of the body. We're told that the real you is not the, the flesh and bones on the outside. The real you, know, is on the inside, the inner you, the bit that feels, the soul. And so, for example, last week, the MP, Leila Moran, announced that she is pansexual. And in her announcement, she said this. I think the quote will be there on the screen. Pansexuality to me means it doesn't matter about the physical attributions of the person you fall in love with. It's about the person themselves. Can you see the distinction between the physical body and the true person? The true person is on the inside, the soul, the inner you, and the body, the outside, it doesn't matter as much. And it's, it's this low view of the physical body that has led to, to so much confusion over gender identity. The new story about our bodies sounds exciting and progressive. We can do anything we want with anyone we want. But actually, it's just a ripoff of an old story, an ancient story. And I say that because 2,000 years ago, people in Corinth had exactly the same view of the body. Look at verse 12 from our reading. This is a slogan the Corinthians were using about their own sexual behavior. Verse 12, everything is permissible for me. That is what the Corinthians thought, and it's how they lived. Corinth would make even the most progressive modern ears tingle. The use of prostitutes wasn't just common. It was socially acceptable, encouraged even. What you did with your slave at home, whether male or female, was your own business, no matter what age they might be. Corinth had become a byword for sexual license. Everything is permissible for me. And then Paul quotes another one of their slogans that explains why they thought this way. Verse 13. They were saying, food for the stomach and stomach for the food. And then I think almost certainly the quote continues. But God will destroy them both. You get hungry? Have a sandwich. No big deal. Doesn't really matter. It's just basic biology. God will destroy the body. Might as well tuck in while you can. You want to have sex. You have a sexual appetite. Tuck in. 
It's just basic biology. God will destroy the body anyway. It doesn't matter what you do with it. I think um, I've used this illustration before in the morning, so bear with me if you've seen it. But uh, take this banana uh, here. It's, quite a, it's, a, it's a small banana, but um, there we are. Um, the Corinthians thought of themselves a bit like a, a banana. There's an, the outer skin, which you could um, peel off. And then there's the inner part of it. And um, there was a guy at school, I think he tried to eat a banana peel once. But, but most normal people, they, they peel off the outer skin... And they, they chuck it away somewhere because the bit they really want is on the inside, the bit that really matters. And the Corinthians thought that their outer shell, their body, was going to be discarded when they died. And that was the end of the story with regards to the outer bit. And the bit that really mattered was on the inside, the soul, the, the precious part, because it lasted forever. And because the physical body didn't really matter, they thought, you can have sex with anyone you want they thought. But this old story, it didn't deliver. Look at what Paul says in response to to their first slogan. Verse 12, everything is permissible for me, they say. Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. The Corinthian approach to sexual permissiveness, it wasn't good for them, and it's not good for us. In his really helpful um, book called Seven Myths About Singleness by Sam Albury, and this is available at the end in the bookstore afterwards, uh, Sam Albury points out that when we reduce sex to just a physical act, when sex just becomes biology, like eating a sandwich, it robs us of relational intimacy. And this was never God's plan for sex. I remember a friend of mine many years ago opening up to me about their life before they became a Christian. They had lived a very promiscuous life. And they described how in that lifestyle, again and again, they felt empty and profoundly alone. In fact, it was that emptiness that made them want to start searching for something better. And so Paul says, not everything is beneficial. But he continues... After the second slogan, he says, verse 12 at the end, I will not be mastered by anything. I think I'm right in saying that the sitcom Friends was one of the first TV programs that normalized the use of pornography. In the the program, again and again, the the male characters particularly uh, joked and talked about their use of pornography as if they were having a sandwich. They got hungry, they had a sandwich, they felt sexually aroused, they watched a bit of porn. It was normal, typical, nothing to be ashamed of, just part of everyday life. And they, they envied others who had access to it. But watching porn is not like eating a sandwich. It enslaves people. It masters us. My guess is that in a room this size, there'll be a good number of people here tonight who are secretly, privately addicted to pornography. I'm not just talking about the men. Women also. Perhaps you've tried to stop for years. Perhaps there's a sense of shame and guilt about what happens in secret. And perhaps even then, a sense of despair that nothing has changed over the years. And Paul understands that feeling because sexual sin has this ability to enslave us. It's so addictive. 
it offers us so much, it draws us in, but then leaves us feeling empty. And so we try again, hoping to find the next time what we didn't find the previous time. The new story about our bodies is actually an old story, which actually never delivered. And so Paul writes to the Corinthians a a better story about their bodies. He says, verse 13, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. The word translated sexual immorality is the word pornea. It's where we get our word pornography from. In the Bible, pornea describes any sexual activity outside of the lifelong marriage relationship between one man and one woman. Uh, Kevin DeYoung, uh, in his brilliant little book, um, A Hole in Our Holiness, puts it this way, and it should come up on the screen. The simplest way to understand pornea is to think about the things that would make you furious or heartbroken if you found out someone was doing them with your husband or your wife. And if we're not married, it's not hard to imagine what that might be. Jesus was clear that sexual sin includes what we think about when we look at other people, the lust of our hearts, which means sexual sin includes our thoughts, our daydreams, our fantasies. And so when we understand the meaning of sexual immorality, of this word pornea, well, I've certainly been convinced as I prepared this sermon that I am a sexual sinner. And I'm sure I'm not alone in saying that tonight. But there is good news tonight. There is a better story about our bodies that can liberate us from the damaging and addictive power of sexual sin. Three times in the next few verses, Paul says to the Corinthians, do you not know? Can you see in verse 15 at the start? Do you not know? Verse 16, do you not know? In verse 19 again, do you not know? Do you not know the good news? What is that good news? Well, Paul will show us our bodies really matter. Why? Well, first of all, if you're still with us in the handout, our bodies matter because they will be raised with Christ. Look at verse 14. By his power, Christ raised the Lord from the dead, and he will, also, he will raise us also. When Jesus was raised from the dead, his resurrection was a physical resurrection and there was continuity from his previous body to his resurrection body such that his disciples could recognize him as the same man. They could even see the the nail marks in his hands from when he was crucified as he died. And what happened to Jesus at his resurrection is what will happen to all Christians when Christ returns and we are raised with him. Don't get me wrong, there'll be an upgrade. The perishable will be, become imperishable. What is sown in dishonor will be raised in honor. And 1 Corinthians 15 unpacks all this for us. We haven't got time to go there tonight. But don't miss the big point. Our eternal future is a physical future. Which means that our physical bodies now, the, the flesh and bones that we are, uh, carry around with us, 
They are not like banana skins that will get peeled off one day and chucked away to leave us eternally just the bit on the inside, the soul floating around in some spiritual existence. Not at all. Our bodies are not like Christmas wrapping paper that gets torn off and then chucked in the bin when it's finished. No, God's plan for humanity in the past and right through eternity is that to be human is to be body-soul together, always. I mentioned earlier that our culture has a rather confused view of the body. On the one hand, there's a worship of the body. We go on diets and we go to the gym to impress people with our looks. And yet, on the other hand, there's this very low view of the body. It's a kind of schizophrenic view. Which is it? Well, here the Bible's very clear that until we're raised, our bodies are fallen. They're not glorious. And so we mustn't worship them. We shouldn't expect too much of our bodies but nor should we have a low view of them because they are eternal and they'll be raised gloriously in the future. Do you not know, Paul says, the good news, our bodies really matter because they'll be raised with Christ. Next, our bodies matter because they have been joined to Christ. And So look at verse 15, over the page now. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? I think this might be a surprise for some of us tonight. Our, our culture has such an, an, an individualistic view of our existence that we, we, we almost cannot imagine that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. We are linked into a, a bigger reality. But when we are joined to Christ spiritually by faith, somehow that union with Christ includes our soul and our, our bodies. I think human marriage can help us understand this. So Paul points out in verse 16 that when two people have sex together, they become one flesh. They remain two separate physical people, and yet somehow their union together is of a oneness. There's a coming together of their physical bodies to become one flesh. There's a gluing together of human relationships. And then remember that the coming together of of a man and a woman in marriage, this oneness of flesh, is a picture of a deeper mystery, Ephesians 5, of how Christ loves the church. And so just as husband and wife become one flesh in marriage, so a believer in Christ are joined together. Yes, in a spiritual union, that's verse 17, But the union somehow also includes our bodies. That's verse 15. It's both. And so what terrible violence is done to that union with Christ uh, between a Christ and a believer when that believer has sex with a prostitute and is joined with them and becomes one flesh with them. Paul is, is horrified by the thought of it. It cannot be, should not be, says Paul. And even if we've never had sex with a prostitute, there is something very important for all of us to realize. Our, our sexual behavior is never a private or personal matter. When we put our trust in Christ, we are joined to him. And so what we do in the secrecy of our bedroom, whether on our own or with another person, it is never truly private. 
What we do with our bodies matters. They have been joined to Christ. Finally, our, our, our bodies matter. They've been given a new purpose by Christ. So look forward to verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. From time to time, I've enjoyed watching George Clark's Amazing Spaces on TV. Maybe some of you have watched it as well. And I remember one particular episode where a couple went around to a, a scrapyard, a, a wreckers yard, and they found this old abandoned bus parked up in this scrapyard. And it had been there for years, and it was an absolute state. The windows were broken, and inside, the, all the upholstery was moldy. There was rust everywhere, and it was just a sight. You can, we couldn't smell it, but you can just imagine the, the dampness oozing off of it. And this couple bought the bus, and somehow they, they brought it back to their house. And over the next year or so, they lovingly, carefully renovated it. They did it up. They fixed everything, made everything new. And by the end of the program, they were revisited, and that old bus had become a, a home, a mobile home in which they could live. And it was just stunning, a glorious renovation of what was an absolute wreck. Well, that illustration doesn't do justice to what Christ has done for us. He went searching for us, and he found us, and we were a mess. We were, if you like, on the scrap heap. But he bought us. The cost was his death on the cross, his blood shed for us. And in buying us that way, he washed us clean. He made us new. And his purpose, to make us a new home for Christ, a place for his spirit to dwell. And this is... This is remarkable. In the Old Testament, the temple was a house built with unbelievable care. Every stitch of fabric and every inch of gold carefully, precisely designed to make the temple somehow a suitable dwelling place for God's spirit on earth. And now Paul is saying that there's no temple in Jerusalem anymore, but God's spirit comes in literally dwells in our physical bodies. We are now new temples walking around the world today with God's Spirit actually dwelling in our physical bodies. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing. Our culture says, my body, my choice. The gospel says, no. We were bought at a price. Christ is the great owner-occupier of our lives. He has bought us for the purpose of making us his home. Did you know the, the Bible is, is really a love story between the two most unlikely characters, God and his people? Back in the first few chapters of the Bible, humanity rebelled against God. The world fell. We were cut off from God's presence. But God pursued us. And he found a way to bring us back into his presence through the death of Jesus. And his plan for us is that one day we will be with him in the new creation face to face. 
able to enjoy his presence forever. It's a, it's a love story from beginning to end of how God woos us and brings us back into a relationship with him. And here Paul is saying that we have God's spirit dwelling in us now, a foretaste of what will be true then in the new creation when we see God face to face and we dwell in his presence forever. And to have God dwelling in us now, well, it's all part of this love story. He wants a relationship with us. He, he has a purpose and a plan for us. We've been caught up into it. Do you not know, says Paul, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? It's been bought, repossessed, repurposed. And yet, sadly, so often we turn the dial down on this great truth. We forget what should not be forgotten, and we do things with God's temple that should not be done with it. How could we sit down and look at porn with God's temple? How could we lead our boyfriend or girlfriend into sexual sin? They are God's temple. How could we have an affair and think that it doesn't matter? Our, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. But, but don't we so often choose to forget who we actually are in Christ? We turn the dial down. That's what the Corinthians were doing. And that is why Paul says three times, do you not know? They did know, but they, but they were forgetting. And so, in a sense, the big application for all of us here tonight is to really know the glorious, majestic, awesome reality about our bodies and how they matter. If we get our thinking right about our bodies, then right living follows. But I also want to pick up two big implications Paul puts before the Corinthians. The first is there in verse 18. He says to them, flee from sexual immorality. Imagine going out tomorrow and buying the very best suit money could buy. Maybe a Giorgio Armani suit worth thousands of pounds, the very finest material, the absolute perfect cut. Imagine taking it home and, and putting it on, and then imagine going out and playing a game of rugby, wearing it in the winter mud. It would be a disaster. What a waste of something so precious. But when we sin sexually, look at how Paul puts it in verse 18. We sin against our bodies. Our bodies are remarkably precious. Far more so than any Armani suit. What a disaster. It should not be that we would sin that way. But that's not quite it because there's more. Our bodies have been joined to Christ. He, he now dwells in our bodies by our spirit. And so when we sin against our bodies, we're sinning, sinning against the one who's bought us and who owns us and who's in us. A relationship is at stake. So perhaps it's more like this. Imagine, imagine a boy meets a girl and they fall in love. They're perfect for each other. They decide to get married. They can't wait the day approaches, they're planning, they just, they can't wait for that moment when they start the rest of their lives together. And finally, it's the day before the wedding. They're so excited. And the bride-to-be has her hen day, the day before the wedding. It's going well. Lots of fun and laughter. And then a couple of the friends start joking around a bit. They say, well, do you know, it's, it's the last day of your freedom. Last day of your chance to 
to try a few new experiences before the wedding day and before this lifelong bondage to one man. And the bride-to-be starts thinking, yeah, it is the last day of freedom. Why shouldn't I? And then a a man is found, some stranger from the bar, and heads off with the bride-to-be to the bedroom. We would be screaming, no, what are you doing? Why would you destroy that brilliant relationship? And yet, when we sin sexually, yes, we sin against our body, but we sin against the one who has moved into our bodies, the one who has bought our bodies at a price, the one who wants to be with us forever in the new creation. And sexual sin does, does terrible damage to that relationship. And so, and so Paul says, flee sexual immorality. And so can I urge us all off the back of tonight to spend some really serious time reflecting on our own lives. Are we in the habit of fleeing sexual immorality or have we become comfortable with it? For each of us, our circumstances will be different. I I get that in a room this size, it'll mean different things for different people. But here are some, some thoughts for us as we think about what it might mean for us. If we're going out with someone, and uh, we are in the habit of being alone together at home all by ourselves. Or if we're going out with someone and we're planning a holiday where it's just going to be the two of us away together, how can we possibly say that we are fleeing sexual immorality? If we struggle with pornography, why upgrade the smartphone when the contract comes to an end? Why not get rid of it and buy a basic model with no internet, no fancy screens? Or why not leave your phone downstairs in full view of your housemates so they can see what's happening to it every night, not up with you in your bedroom? Or don't buy a TV. Or install software on your devices that will help you stay accountable to a good friend. I put a link on the handout to a really excellent website that really helps in this area. Do check it out. And can I also recommend um, a really helpful book? Um, uh, Vaughan Roberts, who's a church minister down in Oxford, has written a book called The Porn Problem. Um, they're actually around tonight. They are free. There's loads of them next, uh, across the way in the church center. Just take one for yourself or for a friend. A really helpful book, if that is you, part of uh, helping us to flee from this kind of immorality. To those of us who are married, almost certainly there will come into our lives, probably more than once, someone else who we could so easily become entangled with. Don't send the text. Don't sit next to them. Choose not to think about them. Don't look for opportunities to be around them. Paul says, flee sexual immorality. And the other imperative is there in verse 20. Therefore, honor God with your body. This, I think, is the flip side of the coin. We're not just called to flee sex and morality, but also we're then called to dedicate our lives to living for God positively. And this is exciting. God has given us bodies that matter, which means that we can actually bring honor and glory to God by how we live in these bodies. It's, it's wonderful news. And so instead of 
frittering away our time and energy thinking about sexual immorality and plotting more. We can use our time for positive purposes. I read this week that it's not uncommon for a person who is addicted to pornography to spend anywhere from 10 to 15 hours a week consuming porn or looking for more. Just imagine spending that time instead using our bodies to honor God in positive ways. We could meet up with a Christian to encourage them. We could serve our housemates by doing the washing up. We could come around and be here to do jobs around the church building. There's all kinds of ways in which we can use our bodies in good ways to honor God. It makes a difference because our bodies matter. And I wonder if this changes how we think about the clothes we wear. It's very easy, isn't it, to think, it's my body, I will dress my body how I want to. No one has the right to tell me otherwise. But we're owned by Christ. He has bought us. And let's not be naive. The the fashion industry, the trendsetters around us in our culture, they're not trying to help us to honor our body with our clothes. Very often, the opposite, they're trying to help us to flaunt our bodies sexually, to make us more sexually appealing to others. And so unless we're very careful, we'll simply buy into a worldview that has a very wrong view of the body. Paul says, honor God with our bodies. It'll mean thinking very carefully about the clothes we wear. I wonder if we give it enough thought here at Forward. I know that uh, we all have a responsibility for what we think about in our minds. uh, That's our own problem, but we can help each other um, by how we, we dress as well. I mentioned earlier that I've been made very aware again this week of my own sexual sin. I'm sure I'm not alone in this room tonight. And so let me finish by reading out what Paul says to sexual sinners who have turned to Christ. Just look up to verse 11 just before our reading. Paul says this. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There is hope and forgiveness for any sexual sinner, no matter how much we've failed in the past. And so tonight, please don't run away from God in shame, but instead know that his arms are open wide. He wants you to come back running to him because there is forgiveness, there's a washing, a cleansing, no matter what we've done, no matter how often or how serious. He welcomes you back if you'll come to him. And more than that, our our past sexual sin does not define us anymore. In Christ, we have a new identity. We are now part of God's people. That is who we are now. We've been washed. The old is gone, the new has come. And more than that, there is hope. You see, for the Corinthians, Paul is able to say to them, that is what you used to be, but things are changing. There's growth and life and godliness. And for those of us tonight who are trapped in sexual sin, there is good news. There is hope and help to change. Our world tells a story about the body. It sounds so good, so progressive, but it's an old story that never worked. But God's story, his eternal story, is a brilliant story, and it never fails. And so may we live in light of his story. Let us pray. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, 
you were justified. Father, we thank you that you have pursued us in love. We thank you that you have bought us. We thank you for the, the, the forgiveness, the cleansing, the washing we have in Christ through his death. And Father, please help us tonight to see the place we have in your plans and the place that our bodies have in your plans. Please excite us. Please thrill us. Please help us to recommit ourselves to living for you and dedicating our bodies to your service. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.